Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Recently, we told the story of Henry Keogh, the man from South Australia who was convicted for the murder of his fiancée, Anna Jane Cheney. It was a crime he always maintained he was innocent of. Today, I sit down with a lady who would be instrumental in not only helping him mentally fight his way through his incarceration, but also fighting for his eventual freedom. Henry's other half, Faye. A stunning twist in one of the state's most controversial murder cases. After almost 20 years in prison, Henry Keogh is tonight an innocent man. His conviction for drowning his fiancée... Henry Keogh would spend almost two decades behind bars until eventually a change in the law meant that he would have another opportunity to get back into court with newly discovered evidence. Evidence that would see his conviction overturned and subsequently have him released from prison. For the past 19 years, Henry Keogh could only have dreamed about this moment, walking down Rundle Mall side by side with his partner, finally a free man. It was about 10.30 this morning that he arrived at department store... Now, he most certainly didn't achieve this all by himself. He had dedicated people on the outside who would spend countless hours, days, weeks and years doing everything they could to fight the legal system. One of those individuals is Henry's now partner, Faye. But please don't be mistaken to think that Faye was some kind of prison groupie who always thought Mr Keogh had been wronged by the system. Far from it. Faye, like many others around Australia, believed Henry to be guilty of sin and prison was exactly where he should be. When did you first become aware of Henry and, and his particular story? Well, I'd not heard of Henry Keogh, like probably most in South Australia, until 1994 when the Henry Keogh murder trial was taking place in Adelaide. And I basically followed the case just out of curiosity, quite closely via the advertiser, the local newspaper. And um, by the end of that trial, I actually believed he was guilty. What I'd read, I just thought, yep. You know, you, you're where you need to be, which is in jail. Like most people, though, Faye, you know, we've, I spoke about this with Henry. I mean, trial by media happens all the time and, you know, you only hear the bits that uh, obviously they put out and most of the time it's not favourable uh, for the person who's on trial, especially if it's a murder case. Yeah, and it was. It was sensationalised because there are lots of components to Henry's um, trial. I mean, there were there was a bit for everyone, you know, there was there was sex, there was finance there was death um and it it the media sort of milked it for all it was worth and as i said i believed he was guilty um he was sent to jail and i got on with my life which was you know busy life with three kids a husband a business and only occasionally would i ever hear of his name again when from time to time there'd be a a excerpt in the paper or about or on television about Henry Keogh legal team trying to get uh, an appeal heard or just some comment about what was going on. But I basically gave him no further thought until about 2009 when Professor Bob Moles, who you've previously interviewed, mm. was giving a public lecture on miscarriages of justice. 
The uh, forensic basis for this case has fallen away completely. The two forensic experts appointed by the Crown um, have both said that there is no, in fact, no support for a theory of homicide or, or of assault, um, and that was uh, the most likely explanation is that there was a slip and fall. But then I heard Henry Keogh case was given the top billing as being a miscarriage of justice. And me, with my closed mind, I have to admit, said, no, 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 I'm not going to go to that. He's guilty. I don't want to hear it, listen to any drivel suggesting he's not. So I tried to ring the person who was about to pick me up um, all day to say, don't bother. And quite, um, I think, you know, uh, the, shall we call it serendipity? Um, she didn't pick up when I was trying to call my friend and, and she just basically lobbed at my door and said, oh, I've seen that I've got missed calls from you. What were you calling about? And I said, oh, don't worry. You know, I was just going to say I didn't want to come tonight, but I went. And probably 15 minutes into Bob's lecture, I was feeling really disturbed. I was, my belief was being challenged that Henry was guilty but what strongly came through was what Bob was saying, that Henry was given an unfair trial, and that highly offended me. I had utterly believed in the safety of our law in Australia. I had believed that if ever any of my loved ones or even myself, heaven forbid, was faced with a trial or the court process, that it would be fair. And immediately I didn't think that, of course, Henry was innocent because that would have been too much of a... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> massive 180 there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would have just shown my fickleness. But when I heard what was being said by Bob and I believed him to be a highly intelligent person who had thoroughly researched Henry's case. In fact, Bob had already written a book on the Henry Keogh trial and so he knew as much about the cases as anyone and or probably more than most. And so I decided that on that occasion when I was listening to this public lecture that I would go to Bob after the lecture was finished because I'd learned at this stage he was working from home, basically trying to right the wrongs of the system, um, our judicial system in South Australia, and I thought, wow, here's this man dedicating his life now to people who he had believed, you know, we had put in jail, in, you know, falsely. So I went up to him and I said, Bob, I have time on my hands. I'm not, um, my background was nursing, so I had a medical background, but yeah. I said, I have no legal um, legal experience whatsoever and I'm pretty computer illiterate. But I said, I will help you do whatever menial jobs you have so that you can free up your time to do what you do best, which is the legal side. And he um, very readily accepted my offer and a week later I was at his home and he it must have been one hell of a talk <laughs> <laughs> oh he's convincing don't you think well yeah I mean I, we spoke for three hours so exactly so you know you know Jack what I'm talking about yeah and because he speak spoke with authority and compassion but you know he was not he was not pushing anything down our throats. He was just putting all of the information forward and saying, you know, this is what I know to be true. That rattled me and I thought, no, I can't, I can't let this stand. I've got, I've got to do something. I can't go back to my old life and pretend that I didn't hear what I heard. I mean, we joke and say, well, it must have been some hell of a talk. But, you know, most people, like I say when I started my show, you listen to most crime shows or most people watch some crime shows on TV or go to these talks and they go, wow, and they're sort of blown away and, and sort of, you know, even might be angered by what they hear. But then they go back to their normal lives and get on with things. And, you know, like with podcasts, you listen to stories and you hear these miscarriage of justice and you think those poor people and you get on with your life and you forget about them. So obviously there's some, there was something in you that went, well, I, I can't, I can't do that. That's a big thing. Not many people would stop and go, well, actually, I'm not going to just say, wow, that's terrible and go back to my normal life. I need to help in some way, any way that I can. I've always had, a, you know, a very strong social conscience. And, um, and a nurse you know, as well. So obviously, you know, you've got that yeah, innate yeah, thing totally. where you want to I, care I, for people. I am, yeah. And, and to, you know, to ignore that would be denying myself because in myself I couldn't, I knew I couldn't rest if I didn't do something. The next week, as I said, I was at Bob's door and I said, now listen, Bob, even though I have offered to do this for you because I 
have been upset about hearing that Ken, Henry Keogh's trial was not a fair trial. I said, do not ever expect me to visit this man because that's, you know, I, I didn't think he was innocent at that stage. And Bob, as he's got this gorgeous English accent and he pushed himself back in his chair a bit and he said, oh, Faye, he said, I can already see you organising the Henry Keogh release party. <laughs> <laughs> And I was offended. I said, I will not. <laughs> and little did I know that, in fact, that would have been the case. How prophetic. So Faye's involvement with the Henry Keogh case begins. Obviously, little did she know at that time just how involved she would eventually become with this story and, of course, its eventual outcome. So Faye finds herself at the home of Dr Moles, ready to muck in thinking she may be given a few menial tasks to help free up Dr Moles. She's instead shown a filing cabinet full of thousands upon thousands of pages of documents on Henry's case and told by Dr Moles he needs her to go through each one to remove any double-ups, triple-ups, quadruple-ups as over the years of printing and assessing different aspects of the case, multiple copies of the same papers would have been reproduced. As Faye jumps into her task, she suddenly realises that she'd need to read every single page from top to bottom to ensure she didn't accidentally throw out an original copy or, God forbid, one page with a slight change in it that was instrumental to the case. This would see her go through with extreme care and read thousands of pages of court documents, medical reports, appeals, pathologist findings, you name it, Faye read it all. Finding herself sitting in Bob's office in front of all these papers, constantly asking question after question of why things had been rejected, why this had been overlooked, why this wasn't reported, all questions that, of course, Dr Moles had himself. And it's after weeks of going through all this paperwork that Faye's opinion begins to shift. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Over time, I and it was not instant, but weeks into this, I just came to the realisation that, that, that it was, I was about to say it was a stitch up. That's probably not fair. It was just a concoction um, a concoction by the pathologist and people, other people around him who should have known better, did know better because by then Manock had been thoroughly discredited in South Australia and all of the people who should have known did know, but the people just fell in behind him and went, oh, okay, and Henry ended up being in jail. So I then realised that, in fact, I had to rethink my my strongly held belief that he was guilty. And what it taught me, it was a massive lesson, Jack, because it taught me that we all need to be, but I needed to be particular, in most particularly, slow to judge. Yeah. Quick to ask questions. Yeah. Ask, keep asking questions. Do not assume you've got all of the information. Because of course I did. I mean, how ridiculous. I thought 
trial by, you know, the advertiser newspaper was all I needed. And I was the same before I started doing the job that I do now. I was of the strong opinion that if you're in prison, you did something wrong and you deserve to be there. And, you know, I I didn't give people incarcerated or being arrested a second thought until I started hearing some of these stories and was like, oh, my God, like, it's just, it's not that black and white. And you're right, people read thing, things, brief articles, headlines, and they take it as gospel and they're like, you know, well, that obvious, that person's obviously guilty. And this whole thing of guilty to a proven innocent is just utter rubbish. It just doesn't happen. No, and, you know, the, the idea that, as you just said, you know, if you're arrested, then of course you're guilty. Yeah. It's just the process to, you know, make it formalised and to get you in jail. And, you know, that is just so wrong. And in Henry's case, it was so complicated because the medical information that was put forward, um, as you may have already discovered, um, Dr. Manock was actually grilled on some of the um, statements he was making about medical findings in the autopsy. And when he was asked, you know, what basis are you making those claims about the brain tissue, et cetera, um, what, what journals or what articles are you relying on to make those statements? And he said, oh, there are none because I'm the world leader in this matter. Oh, my God. Just, just ego out of control. That's breathtaking stuff. Given, as I said, everyone who should have known knew he had been totally discredited prior to him being called as the expert witness. Um, and, you know, that if you put this to most intelligent people, what happened in South Australia with Henry's case, they'd go, no, 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 that's a fanciful story. That couldn't happen. Well, it did happen. Mm. Her opinion in Henry's guilt is beginning to shift. She can't deny what she's reading in page after page of documents. However, what happens to make a lady who was sure of this man's guilt in killing his fiancée to eventually not only speaking with him, but meeting with him, and of course, eventually becoming romantically involved with him? Well, it would all begin one day when she asked Dr Moles a rather simple question. After one time that he called and he'd hung up from speaking to Henry, you know, I said to Bob, I said, look, do you know if anyone still bothers to visit Henry? Because he, at that stage he'd been in jail for years and I thought, I know human nature. You know, we all start off with a big bang about, yes, we're enthusiastic and we'll visit Henry and then fall away and find other things that, that appeal to us more than driving hours to get to a jail. Yeah. And, and Bob said, well, you ask him. Next time he calls, he said, I'll hand the phone over to you if you're in, in the office. So he did that next next time I was there and I spoke to Henry and I said, look, you know, you don't know me. I said, but I want to assure you I'm no jail groupie. And he laughed and I said, I have plenty to fill my life, but if you would like a visitor, I said, you know, I'd be very happy to visit you. And he said, sure, come in. And, you know, I had to go through the process of being approved for visiting. And, in fact, Henry was at that stage at Mobilong Prison and I had a um, weekender shack on the River Murray, and so I would, unknowns to me, be known to me. Initially, I was driving pa- almost driving past Mobilong Prison and never knew it was there mm. on the way to the weekender. And um, so um, my first jail visit was so frightening; it was ridiculously scary. I'm going to assume you'd never been inside a prison before. That's a correct assumption. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would be daunting, you know, because the only thing that most people know about prisons. Uh, is that they're scary places full of scary people and, um, you know, not not places that you would ever potentially choose to to go and visit. So, you know, I mean, I'm sure it was quite daunting turning up there. It was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I fronted up. I had two dogs at the time. I told them I wouldn't be long. I left them in the car. I'm parked under a tree, put the windows down a bit, left them water in the car and said, you know, I'll be back. And then when I went into the visit area and I had to sort of find out what I needed to do to get in to see Henry, what shocked me, totally unexpected, was that almost everyone in that large prison reception area knew each other. It was old home week. They were all chatting and how are you and where's Bill and oh, how long has you know, uh, Tony been back in jail? And, and all of this banter with the kids running around playing with each other it was confronting to me because clearly these people had been in jail for some, sorry, the prisoners they were visiting had been in jail for so long that all of the visitors knew each other. Yeah. 
And, it, and so I was, you know, I was led through the process of had to you know, leave my bag here, leave my keys here, and I was given a key locker. And then I was told that the number on the key locker would match the table number. So the heart's pounding and, and I'm pushed into a long corridor and all I could see was razor wire left and right through windows. And I'm thinking, oh, this is it. And then I was shown down to the visit area and almost every table had a prisoner and their visitors. And I was shown to table six. Table, table six had no one. And I'm sitting there and minutes are passing and two minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, and I'm still sitting there staring at the wall thinking, uh-oh, I'm going to be stood up. My first jail visit and I'm going to be stood up. <laughs> uh, that'd, that'd be one hell of a That's one hell of a story, though. <laughs> your, your, your first date was at a prison and you got stood up, although, of course, it wasn't a date in your mind. You were just going no. to visit Mr Keogh. No, no, no. I need, I need to clarify that. I mean, I was actually separated from my husband. Yeah. That's why I was free to do what I was I, doing. I mean, look, I, I, did, I didn't want to pry, but I, I was going to ask, you know, if you were with your husband and if you were, how he felt about you going to visit no, a man no, in prison. No. But <laughs> No, that's a fair comment. See, you're asking questions. You're not assuming. You're prying yeah. with questions. Yeah. Good work, Jim. I've learned. <laughs> so backtrack. I was separated from my husband. Yep. I was waiting for him to start behaving decently towards me, which I felt sure it would happen. In the meantime, I'm waiting and I'm, I've got free time on my hands. So I'm not, I'm totally um, emotionally committed to someone else. I'm here to visit Henry Keogh because I'm doing a community service. Yeah. At nine minutes, a man walks towards the table of course, I recognise him as Henry Keogh. His hair has got a buzz cut, so quite different to the photographs that, that have been shown over the years in the media where he had long, very thick hair. And, of course, those photos, he was in a double-breasted suit, I think. He was in, of course, prison greens, you know, tracksuit and top. He sat down and, of course, he had no idea who I was, what I was going to look like, excepting he knew we had to go to table six. You know, he started off very generously. He said, look, if you're having second thoughts about this or you, you you just get cold feet, he said, the toilets are that way. He said, just go to the toilet. Tell me you're going to the toilet and don't come back. <laughs> Needless to say, Faye didn't go to the toilet that visit and she says it ended up being a very easy and natural conversation as they discovered they had a lot in common. They both were interested in the medical field, with Faye being a nurse and Henry having worked for St John's Ambulance and, of course, wanting to be a doctor at one stage in his past. They shared a common interest in discussions around finance, and Faye says it was just an enjoyable conversation with lots of laughter. And it would end with both agreeing that Faye would continue to visit Henry, and he would, from time to time, give her a call. And so was the beginning of their friendship. But very shortly after that, I went off on a European holiday for a month. And by that time, I'd had a few conversations with him on the phone and I'd worked out that he was actually in a very dark place. So when I met him, he was actually really putting in a good effort to be, you know, super friendly and, and affable. Yeah. But he was mentally, and I think he mentioned to you, he was looking for hanging points. Mm. And that was the jail. That was the jail that he was doing that in. Yeah. And for... At least three years, maybe longer. Um, I'd be walking around and looking at hanging points or different places. I could just sort of do away with myself and not be found until it was too late. But I was fortunate in that I had seen two documentaries. Both of them talked about the aftermath of suicide on the family. <clears throat> and I knew that I couldn't do that to my father um, or to my girls, to my daughters. And, and so that, I, I was very worried that, you know, I might get back from overseas and that he would have killed himself. But as it turned out, what happened is that he was moved to Port Augusta, which is... Um, uh, well, it's a mid, middle and and a high security level place, but he'd been moved because there'd been some stoush going on at Mobilong that he took the rap for. And so that meant when I then chose to visit him, it was a three and a half hour drive away. And it was, you know, it was a, a big deal rather than just calling him on the way to my weekender shack on the river. Yeah. It was, a, it was an overnighter stay. And those visits, 
were interesting because I actually for the first time was treated badly by some of the guards. I was actually appalled and shocked that how disrespected I was. And of course, not just me, but you know, other visitors by yeah. some of the guards. And I thought, whoa, if they're doing that to me when I'm in full view of everyone, what are they doing to the prisoners when there's no one watching? And on one of the visit times, I was actually waiting to go in and I was looking at some of the women and they were dressed in really scanty um, tops and skirts that, that were basically the size of a belt. And I'm thinking, wow, how come they get through the process without being told, oh, come on, that's a bit revealing. And anyway, I forgot about that, came out of one of the visits in a small group and we were in the middle section of the razor wire, so one gate in front of us, one gate behind us. And a guard came over and pulled me aside and said, I need to talk to you and drag me aside. And I'm thinking, oh, the heart was pounding. What's going on? What's going on? She said, do you realise that your dress is see-through? <laughs> it was a white cotton dress and it was a button up to the neck. I mean, I'm quite prudish. I don't flaunt necklines or leg lines and, you know, others do and they've probably got better bodies to do it. But she said, do you realise you can see through your dress? And I looked down and I'm thinking, I'm suffering from what poor Princess Diana suffered. You know when she had that photograph taken in the kindergarten and the, her skirt was backlit? You could see Shining the shape through. of her legs. I'm sure that's all you saw was the shape of my legs. You know, a dusty shadow it would have been. Of, and I'm looking around, thinking, looking at the women who are, who were not pulled aside, who've got little boob tubes and short skirts, you know, as I said, about the width of a belt. And yet they pulled me out and, I, I mean, they let me go. It was just I was given basically given a warning that I had to dress more discreetly. Other than dealing with some overzealous and some rude prison officers, Faye also decided that she wanted to make sure that now she was making these long three-hour trips to visit with Henry, that the visits were full of mentally stimulating conversation. After all, the whole point of this was to give him something to look forward to each month. So I would always go planned with topics of conversation and He's easy to talk to. It's not that he's just that I didn't want to sit there and go, oh, and how are you? And yeah, how's your yeah, week? Yeah, 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 yeah. He craved for rich conversation. So, you know, I'd, I'd go with a you know topic of the day, and it might be you know euthanasia, um, or we're going to talk about languages or current affairs. A lot of pressure Anything. on you, Faye. I mean, you know, I'm a very uncomfortable person in social situations because in my head I'm going, okay, I've got to think of something to say here. I've got to, and this was this was you, you know, coming up with topics like, okay, what are we going to talk about today? You know, it's, it's a lot of pressure. And, I, you know, I'd have to write them on my hand because you also <laughs> have to take paperwork in. Although, oh, just a funny story, on one occasion it was cold and Fort Augusta is bloody cold hmm. and the jails are even colder and, and we had to sit on steel seats and which were fixed to the floor, of course, and steel tables in front of us. And I had wore in a really thick coat for obvious reasons. And, and during the um, visit session, I let the coat slip off and I folded the arms under me just so I had more bulk under my behind between mm. the cold seat and my bottom. Mm. And, a, and a warden, a guard came over and told me to get off the coat. And I said, pardon? And I'm looking at him totally bewildered get off the coat and Henry's saying just do as they say do as they say and I said and I'm looked and he said don't argue you know and I'm of course I want I want to know the rationale yeah yeah yeah. I said but I'm allowed to wear it in why can't I sit on it it." and he said yes so I mean where's the logic in that Jack it's all, it's just it? it's beginning it's about control though isn't it it's about you know it's yeah it's i don't know it feels like it's control over everybody once you're in that place yeah and it is it's control you know it's and if 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 i lean too far forward or if i got too close or if i touched henry's arm or if i anyway it was it was a learning curve for me henry was well and truly entrenched in what he could do and what he knew I could do and not do, but you know I'm still bucking the system. So, yeah, but yeah. I did learn that there is no point in taking them on. How did your Just, like? I mean, I know you've already obviously we've already spoken about the fact that you were uh, you and your husband had already separated. But how did other family members feel about you visiting a man who'd been convicted for murder? Ah, good question. Because most at the time, I mean, people know me. I mean, I'm not standard by any means. I I do all sorts of wacky things, but. Most people probably kept their opinions to themselves, but yeah. my family 
were supportive because I would talk to them about all of the nuances of Henry's case. And most uh, people, of course, would only know snippets of Henry's case because it was so complicated, um, just medical matters. And and so people, I actually, maybe they were just being polite, but almost, I think almost no one told me to shut up and just, you know, stop bothering them with my conversation because I was trying to spread the word that, you know, there was this was a huge miscarriage of justice because I knew that I had the incorrect belief early on and I thought, well, if others have too, it's only because they don't have the correct information or they don't have enough information. And mm. if they see what the bits that none of us were told or that the jury was told, I think you and I both do not like the jury system no. under most circumstances because if you were a person off the street and you were put, if you had to listen to all of the information that the jurors had to listen to in Henry's case, you'd either turn off because you didn't understand oh, it totally. or, you, or you just make false judgments or rash decisions because you didn't understand it. I Like I read these things like on a daily basis now and I just I still don't understand 90% of it. Even reading court transcripts where attorneys are saying mm. things, I'm listening and going, what does that, it's another language. I'm like, what does that even mean? And you've got people who are sitting there, you know, in the, uh, in the jury box together listening to this stuff, supposedly needing to make a decision on someone's innocence or guilt. I mean, there's just so much of it that you would just switch off and you know I hear all the time from people who are incarcerated going that they spotted people in the jury sleeping and that's why I say if I, if I was to ever be on trial I want judges in, you know who understand law and understand this jargon to be listening to my case I heard recently and this is absurd that jurors were found out in a particular trial that the the foreman of the jury was taking in photocopied sheets of paper which had sudoku on them, and they were playing Sudoku. I kid you not. Dearing. And someone happened to glance across to see what was happening, and there was a mistrial. I mean, as there should be. But, Absolutely. I mean, that's. I mean, that's just absurd, isn't it? That people oh. would take that that so lightly their their position as a jurist so lightly. Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen, what Faye is saying here is 100% true. In fact, I found an article about it in the Oakland Press. It happened in Sydney, Australia. A judge halted a drug conspiracy trial Tuesday after some jurors were found to have been playing the puzzle game Sudoku while evidence was being given. Sydney District Court Judge Peter Zahar ended the trial Tuesday for two men facing a possible life sentence for drug conspiracy charges. The trial had been running for 66 days and had cost taxpayers an estimated $950,000. The judge was alerted after jurors were observed writing vertically rather than horizontally. It had been assumed they were taking notes. Yeah, it helps me keep my mind busy paying more attention, the jury foreman told the judge Tuesday. Some of the evidence is rather drawn out and I find it difficult to maintain my attention the whole time. And that doesn't distract me too much from proceedings. Jurors in the trial are anonymous and no action can be taken against them for the puzzle playing. The foreman admitted to the judge four to five jurors were playing puzzle games for up to half the time the trial had been going on. A new trial is expected to begin in a few weeks. Does anyone else want to try and convince me that a jury trial is the best way to go? And I understand that people are often forced to do it and, you know, that's a debate for another day, the yeah, jury yeah, system. Yeah. The pay is horrendous if you get any pay at all. I think I think actually during telling telling Henry's story, I think I outlined the, the pay uh, in Australia. Hearing, and yeah. it's just horrendous. Like, you know, you're forcing people out of their work to do this and being paid sometimes 60 bucks a day if that. And, for you know, it's just crazy. It's absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. It's, so, it is not set up for success, and I think that's the tragedy. Faye is continuing her work with Henry's team in order to try and get Henry back into court and she would actually be instrumental in getting in touch with a vital expert from almost 20 years previously that no one so far had been able to track down. On one occasion, I was contacted by the legal team saying that they needed to contact a professor who had written a report 20 years prior on Henry's case 
because Henry's appeal was going to be put before the court and all of the affidavits that had been written 20 years ago had to be re-signed by the, the, the authors of those reports to say that, you know, they still held with that belief of whatever was in the report. And one of these papers, which was important, they couldn't find the professor who had written it and they knew he wasn't dead. So it was only a few days before this was had, had to be put before the court and this alert email came out addressed to many people, but I was included in it, saying, alert, alert, um, we need to find Professor so-and-so, and, -so, and um, we've only got a few days for that to happen. Anyone or everyone, if you've got the time and the motivation, can you join the search for this man? And if you need to, hire a PA and that lawyer would pay, as a PA, a PI, private investigator, and that lawyer would pay for the fees of this private investigator. Now, I was horrified. I'm thinking, what? We're running out of time. And if we can't get this piece of paper in, maybe that will be the document that just hinges on Henry's success with the appeal or not. Yeah. So I brainstormed and I was actually at my weekend shack up the river and Again, I was still alone. My husband hadn't decided to behave decently, and um, I thought, "What would I? What will I do?" And I, and I just sat there and I thought, "There has to be a way." So I decided, if this particular professor um, had been around a long time and he had retired, he must have written multiple papers, um, academic papers. So I will Google his name and I will find out who he has co-written, co-authored these papers with. And what I was looking for was an unusual co-author's name because if it was, you know, Professor Brown, that too many too hard to find, yeah. And I, and I found, and I can't remember this guy's name name now, but it, it was Welsh, so it was an unusual name. And I thought, right, I'm going to hone in on him, which I did. I googled this man's name, Bingo. He was one of the consultants working at a Cardiff hospital, and lo and behold, when I googled that hospital. This particular um, professor's name came up with an email. And so I emailed him and I told him why I needed to get this um, Australian professor's contact. And I went to bed and the next morning in my inbox was waiting an email from this guy saying, here's the contact you're looking for. Bingo. <laughs> the legal team after that called me Erin, Erin Brockovich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At what point did your opinion of him change and then you be it became more about, you know what, I actually kind of like this guy and, you know, the sort of romantic sort of side of things started to develop? Um, I had still, I was still waiting for my husband to behave decently. We're now at year eight for my patient waiting. And I mean, Henry had been my best girlfriend on the phone because I would just pour out all my issues to him and woe is me. And, you know, my husband hasn't done this and he said he was going to do that and he's let me so down. You, so again. you were separated from your husband, but you were trying to work things out. Is that basically what was happening? Yeah, yeah, there? Yeah. yeah. He kept coming back, making me offers of reconciliation. And only when I agreed, he would then turn around and walk off again. Yeah, right. Um, so I said to Henry, right, that's it, I'm done. Or No, Henry made the comment to me a few days prior to this, he said, um, Faye, he said, you've got to put it to your husband that he has to do what the Spartans do. You you burn your boat um, because, you know, clearly he what my husband wasn't burning his boat. He had someone else in the wings, a bit closer than the wings, actually. I said, okay, well, you either, you either burn your, that boat or I'm done. And he wouldn't. So I said, I'm done. And it, then at that point, interestingly, I was just free of all connection to that person emotionally. A few days later, Henry was on and I were on the phone and we we're talking about our musical preferences. And it wasn't a new conversation, but we we're just reiterating that we both love the saxophone and we were talking about, you know, music and instruments. And as I was listening to him, I thought, oh, he has such a beautiful voice, you know, that that melodic voice and why was I looking elsewhere for connection with another well, male human being? Mm. Yeah, when it, when he's been under my nose for, well, then four years. And, of course, I was reluctant to say anything about that. But interestingly, probably almost at the same conversation, bearing in mind, of course, Henry knew that I decided I was giving up on my husband, that he acknowledged days later that he that was the same point in time that he felt the same way 
And Henry had previously always held to the strong belief that he would never have a jail relationship. Yeah. He said they didn't work. He'd seen guys be so messed up and disappointed when, you know, they thought they had a jail jail relationship and then the woman went off. So he'd committed to that was not going to happen to him. But he had to renege on that deal because it did happen to him. So Faye and Henry were now more than friends. Anne had decided that if Henry got out, then they would have a proper relationship as a couple. Although Faye says nothing really much changed other than the fact that she would now visit him more often. And of course, that means more prison visitation stories. And in fact, an altercation that had nothing to do with Henry on the outside of those prison walls would soon make its way inside the prison. When Henry ended up at Cadell, which was his last um, prison that he was in, which is low security, it's oh, just over an hour, hour and a half's drive out of Adelaide. And to get early in the queue, of course, you had to r- arrive early and park on the roadside and they opened the gates at just you know at half an hour before visit time, etc. And then everyone would drive in and then we would all walk to the waiting area under the ver- veranda and we'd sit on the chairs according to the manner in which we arrived because it was a fairly lengthy process because you could take food up um, to share at that stage. That They don't do that any longer, but they'd have to check all your food through and check your ID. And So I didn't, and no, neither did any of the other keen visitors, want to lose too much time in that process. So you mm. get there early. But some of the scumbags, when they were visiting, they would arrive late just, and they would queue just at, as the boom gate was opening. They'd race in and then send their kids from the car park running to get to the seats closest to the door and pip us at the post who had been waiting in the heat and the flies for hours. I went up to one of the um, mothers of these kids because the kids were only just pawns, and I just said, "Um, that's not acceptable. I said, I was here first. I was here before you. Move down. And as I'm saying it, I am terrified. My knees were literally and I mean literally shaking that I was I think I was spasming all over because she was a lot tougher looking than me and I knew that she was way more experienced at jail yeah. visiting than me <laughs> and, and when she looked at me and then I and I said I am not moving and I've moved in front of her and I looked at the woman who was next in line and I said you don't accept this either do you cue jumping and the woman said oh it's okay let her in and I said, well, I'm not letting you in. Anyway, that news very quickly got to Henry. Oh, dear. And and the guy that um, this woman was visiting, of course, was told that story very quickly. And Henry was confronted by this bully, oh, no. basically telling him, you know, what does your missus think she is or who does she think she is? And, you know, that almost led to a jail fight. Oh, dearie me. But I wasn't going to let a bully... So, you know, win win over me. I just thought, no, you don't. You know, you're not going to get away with this because it's just sort of promoting bad behaviour. So, but, how did that confrontation between Henry and uh, this guy go in prison? What what happened there? Well, I I had actually seen him because I was pointing him out, this man out to Henry when I got inside on that visit, and and he was built like a tank. I mean, he couldn't, his arms couldn't hang down beside his body because his muscles were so big. <laughs> Henry's going, thanks, uh, Faye. Cheers. <laughs> exactly. I I didn't win any points, I don't think, with Henry on that visit. <laughs> Deary. I, can't, I couldn't imagine because my, my my wife has got more front than Maya. So if it was if it was me in prison, I would just say, please don't come and visit me because <laughs> I'd be getting in prison fights all the time because of stuff that she done in the visit in the lineup. that's for sure. <laughs> so the visits continue and so does the fight for Henry's freedom. And Faye says it all changed when they brought on a gun lawyer, inspired by a TV show. Henry, had, because I'd been supporting Henry for such a long time, there'd been changes in the in the legal team because they were act they were all acting for pro bono, and you know, of course, for twenty over twenty year period, there are plenty of lawyers who are going to get sick of that protracted time for free of charge. Yeah. So Henry had just. Um, gotten a new legal team, but they were from interstate, um, Brisbane and um, was it Sydney or anyway, two, two interstaters had both generously 
and they were they were quality lawyers, legal team. It was not that they were not well qualified yeah. and they were generous, but it just wasn't working because they weren't in Adelaide. Yeah, sure. So Henry asked me to suss out, you know, what I thought of the, the team because by now the team is actually calling me on occasions just to get some free work from me, which I'd happily volunteered to do. Anyway, at that time on ABC TV was a program called Silk and it was a BBC um, program. It was brilliantly done. The scripting was fabulous and the protagonist, Martha Costello, was a QC then and she would always, always win the case because of her thoroughness. She would not leave a grain of sand unturned. So I said to Henry, I said, you know, you need a woman. And he said, well, find me one. So I went to Graham Archer, who is at that stage was the head of Today Tonight Channel 7 in Adelaide. Mm. And he had already done about uh, 45 episodes for Today Tonight on Henry's case. And they were very thorough, extremely well done. And um, whilst Graham had never met Henry, he knew of Henry's case intimately. And I would see Graham from time to time during court appearances Graham would turn up because he'd have his crew, his film crew with him. So I went to him and I asked him if he'd actually watched Silk. And he said, of course I watch Silk. It's a brilliant series. And I said, well, we need a Martha Costello. And he went, ha-ha, I know just the woman. And he did know the woman. He said, and I think she owes me one because the woman he was talking about is Mari Shaw, KC. And Mari had started a, a charity called Ice Factor, a charity where she would get young disadvantaged kids involved in ice hockey to play on ice hockey teams against each other from schools within Adelaide. And she wanted um, exposure for that program. And Graham, through Today Tonight program on Channel 7, had given her exposure. And that's why he had this really good connection with her and he called her and asked her if she'd take it on. And she said, I will, if I can get the team I want, the legal team I want to put together, I will take it on. And bingo, she got the team together, she took it on, and she got Henry out. And wow. that, you know, a, an unbelievable human being is Mari Shaw. She's just tenacious. She was Martha Costello on steroids. And she found, you know, the missing pieces that, Henry's case needed and that were there all along, as you know, the, the, the <laughs> hidden report. Yeah. And it was only probably because she was trusted by the um, the then D, uh, DPP that she was shown, no, the Solicitor General rather, she was shown the document that had been hidden for nine years at that stage about um, the report saying that, you know, the autopsy on Anna was very, very um, deficient. And after 19 years... Henry would be freed, his conviction overturned, but not exonerated, which Faye says definitely affected him quite badly. Of then, of course, the disappointment was that for a year, Henry was had it held over him that, that they were going to do a third trial. Mm. By that stage, Henry and I are living together and, and you know, he he wasn't coping well. He I'd wished, always wished that he was as good as he said he was, but, he, you know, he wasn't. He, he was... Suffering, he was um, fairly paranoid, jumpy, distrusting. Found it difficult to um, get close to people because he he kept saying personal space. You know, our my personal space. You know, of course I have a little circle of personal space, but I'm happy for people to get way closer to me. Strangers, I'm talking about, because you know we're always queuing for something, aren't we? we yeah. You know, we're brushing past people in supermarkets, or we're in a line in a bank, or less so now, but in a supermarket. Whereas Henry had, he was used to much more personal space because if you in jail, if you got too close, then you meant, you know, that meant trouble to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So he found it difficult to allow people to get too close to him, and he, he kept saying, "People keep bumping into you," and I said. Yes. <laughs> yes. And he said, if you do that in jail, he said, that means trouble. Yeah. And I, I you know, but, you know, he's, that's now eight, nearly nine, nine years ago. So, mm. And, and how, how is he going these days? Um, he, physically, he's, you know, his body's, he keeps saying his body's a wreck and it, and it is, you know, he, of course, he missed out on lots of medical treatment that he should have had over the years and 
there's a big queue of doctors' visits now, but um, you know, mentally he's there are remnants. And he wouldn't even like me to say this because he, you know, he's a positive person and he keeps talking up that everything's fine. But there are remnants definitely of jail, just the system having done its thing with him for two decades. But overall, you know, overall he's great and he loves helping people. Um, he's off today helping someone um, with a legal matter who's in jail and they're trying to get an appeal. And that's, you know, that's something he does it very well and he makes him it is, it, he is useful and it makes him feel useful. So yeah. that's, you know, that's healthy. Everyone needs a purpose. Yeah, we do. Mm. Well, look, it's um, you know, it's it, it's you know, it's a it's a fan, fascinating story from from both sides, from his side and uh, and hearing your side of of everything. And uh, you know, I uh, I really greatly appreciate you sitting down and giving me your insights from from the other side of those walls. Um, you know, uh, and and what goes on. Um, it's been uh, it's been fantastic. So thank you so much indeed. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Jane. You have one minute remaining. I want to say a huge thank you to Faye for sitting down and having a chat with me. It was a fascinating conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. And, of course, if you haven't heard Henry's story, I would hope you have by now if you listened to all of that, but if you haven't, make sure you go back and check out the full story on Henry Kia. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of Earsay. 